Ever feel that way? I know we feel that way in our horizontal relationships. Sometimes we just sense that they're slipping away and communication is not taking place and there's this sense this isn't going to end well. But have you ever felt like it in your relationship with God? Like, God, I'm talking, I'm right here, I need you more than ever, but I'm not getting anything in return. I'm kind of losing the hope here, God. Kind of feel like maybe I'm giving up on you, you know? I'd follow you anywhere, but would you just talk to me? I'm not going to lie to you. I've shared with you before, the last 24 months of my life have been the the toughest 24-month period I have ever been through in 58 years. And it's been true professionally. It's been been true personally. And you don't need to know the details or the reason why. It's just been tough. But through this time, I have specifically, at least uh, particularly the last few weeks where I've had a little bit of a summer break and I've been praying, God, I just, I need to hear from you, you know? I, I need a little bit of peace. I need a little bit of tranquility. I need the sense that, okay, I, I know I'm in the storm, and we all go through storms, but I, I just need some reassurance that you're in this storm with me and that we are going to come out the other side and that everything's going to be okay. But if you, could just, if you could just calm me down and give me a little peace and tranquility, that, that would just be awesome. And I begged and I pleaded. And here's the way God has responded. My oldest son sold his house. His, his new house isn't going to be ready to October. So my son, my daughter-in-law, my three grandchildren have moved in with me. So our house went from, from two to seven. And uh, it's not exactly a peaceful, tranquil situation. Not their fault. They're incredible to live with. It's just, I'm just kind of weird. You know, I, I'm kind of private, and I have a routine, and I have a regiment that I like to live by. I like to go to bed at 9 o'clock at night. I get up around 3.30 or 4 in the morning. That's my sweet spot time of working. And they don't like to go to bed at 9 o'clock. And they actually like to get up early with me, and that bothers me a little bit. My house is kind of like Grandpa's bed and breakfast. Grandpa, can you make us the Star Wars pancakes like Grandma makes? It's like, go back to your room, you know? No tranquility there. And then on top of that, I'm going to the gym, taking care of the temple. You know, God tells us our body's the temple, take care of it. And so one day I'm, I'm working out, and I hear this loud snap, and I realize that I, I tore my tricep away from the bone. And so I spent my time off them drilling holes in my elbow and reattaching it and doing those kinds of things. There's no peace and tranquility there. Sure, a few days of Percocet help with that. But for the most part, <laughs> nothing peaceful and tranquil about that. But so you find yourself, it's like, okay, God, I'm talking. You don't seem to be all that interested in what I'm going through right now. I think we all experience that. I think we all go through times in our life where we need God to do something, right? We need God to fix something, and we need it done right now. That's usually how it is. I need it done right now, God. And I don't know about you, but one of the areas in my life where this is usually true is when I blow it, when I kind of screw up in my relationship with God because I'm a very sensitive person. And when I go through that, whether it's theologically accurate or not, I feel separated from God. I feel like there's a distance thing between me and God. I feel like he's really, really mad at me. Part of this is my, you know, Baptist guilt upbringing, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but, you know, I sense I'm on God's naughty list. And, and it's one thing to be on Santa's naughty list, right? You don't want to be on God's naughty list because, I mean, he can play hard if he needs to. And so I beg God and I plead with God, you know, and I beseech God. There's a good biblical word, right? God, if you will just forgive me, right? You ever do this, God? I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the distance. If you'll just forgive me, if you'll just accept me back, and, and God, while you're at it, if you could help me not experience all the consequences of my dumb decisions. See, we like to pray that too. God, I will never, ever do it again. You ever pray that? God, if need be, I will go to Africa and live with the pygmies. Just, just let me know that we're okay. And so we confess. We do a lot of talking to God when we kind of feel like we're on God's bad side. We want to get back on his good side. 
By the way, a few weeks ago, I was up in New York and with Laura, and we were walking down the street, and we, we passed a Catholic church, and I saw this sign. But what really caught my attention is where it said, Confessions, weekday, 7.15 to 7.30. I thought, that's a good group of people. You only need 15 minutes for confession? That, that's got to be a, a, a holy group of people. I told Laura, can you imagine if we had confessions at Hope? This is what it would look like. I mean, it would be a 24-hour drive through I mean, it would be around the block. You know, it'd be crazy. By the way, I got a joke. I got a joke. You know, over half of our church is out of a Catholic background, so I got a good Catholic joke for you. This is one of my, this is what I do during my study break. Um, Billy, Billy has messed up. Billy's an altar boy at the Catholic church, but you know what? He had sex with a girl. He knows it's wrong. It's fornicating. He's heard it his whole life. You don't have sex outside of marriage, right? So he goes to the confession, and he walks in, and he sits down, and he says, forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. And the priest said, Billy, what did you do? And he says, Father, I'm sorry to say it, but I had sex with a girl, and I shouldn't. I know I shouldn't have done that. I need to be forgiven. And the priest says, wow, Billy, that's, that's really wrong, and we, we need to try to make this right. He says, who was the girl? And Billy said, well, you know, I, I don't want to implicate, I don't, I don't implicate her. I don't, I don't want to say who the girl was. The priest says, was it Lisa Menendez? Billy said, no, no, it wasn't Lisa. Was it Stephanie Salvatore? No, it wasn't Stephanie. Was it Deborah Anderson? It wasn't Deborah Anderson. The priest said, well, I'm really disappointed in you, Billy. You've let me down. You let God down. You are an altar boy. This is severe. So you're suspended. You can't be an altar boy for three months. So Billy leaves. He's walking down the street. He sees his best friend, Jimmy. Jimmy says, Billy, how did it go? He says, not bad. I got a three-month vacation and three good leads. <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny, isn't it? It's pretty funny. My point being, when we really need God, we talk to him a lot. If we need forgiveness, we talk to him. If we need stuff, we talk to him. I mean, even if you're here this weekend and you're not religious, you say, I'm just not a religious person. You know the feeling. You need a job, who do you talk to? You talk to God. Things start unraveling financially, who do you talk to? You talk to God. You're in a relationship that starts to go south, you talk to God. All of a sudden you find an illness. We go to God and we say, God, this situation is out of my control. I need you, God, I need you to do something. I need you to fix something. I need you to intervene in something. But what if instead of doing something, what if instead of fixing something, what if in a situation like that, instead of God intervening in something, what if God's response was, I'd like to say something to you? What if God, from his perspective in heaven central, knew that something really didn't need to be done or fixed or intervened with? What if he knew that something needed to be said? So here's the big question. If God wanted to speak to you, would you hear him? You see, I've never met anyone who didn't take the time to tell God what they thought he ought to do or what they thought he ought to fix. I mean, let's face it, everybody prays. Even if you're here this weekend and say, I don't even believe in God, I'm kind of an atheist, I don't pray. I guarantee you, you pray. I guarantee you, get one-on-one -on -one with me, let me pressure you enough, you would finally admit, yeah, when I'm in a corner or my back's against the wall and hope is slipping away, yeah, I want to keep all my options open, so I'm going to throw up a prayer just in case there is a God, right? We all pray. And here's the interesting thing. Depending on the pain, depending on the pressure, depending on the dysfunction of the situation, have you noticed the intensity of our prayers go up? I mean, I don't know of anyone who doesn't pray under pressure. But the question is, how well do you listen? Because I can just tell you, chances are as you go through life, you're going to experience some situations and some issues. And when those situations come your way, you're going to want God to do something, fix something, intervene in something. But I got to tell you, sometimes God is going to respond this way. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to fix anything. I don't even want to intervene in anything. 
But there is something I would love to say to you if you would just shut up for a minute and listen. Well, let me tell you why this is so important. Most of us, when we think about our biggest regrets in life, chances are, if while we were getting ready to make those decisions, if we would have listened to God and what God thought about what we were getting ready to do, and if we would have had the courage to follow through on what God said, we could have avoided some of our biggest tragedies in life. We could have avoided some of our major pitfalls in life. You see, the problem wasn't that we weren't talking to God. The problem is we weren't listening to God. Now, all of that to say this. For there to be an intimate relationship between two people, and for the sake of the series we're going to be entering into, for there to be a, an intimate relationship between us and God, you see, there has to be commu communication. And as you know, in your earthly relationships, communication isn't just about talking. We've all been in conversations, maybe heated conversations, where the other person did all of the talking and we realize about halfway through, we're not getting anywhere. There are a lot of words being thrown around, but nobody's listening. Nobody's really hearing what's being said. Nothing is sinking in. My point is this, for there to be communication, somebody has to be listening. Just talking will not get it done. There's got to be a sharing of thoughts and ideas. There's got to be a two-way conversation. And so the question that I want to address in this series is this, very simple. Do you know how to communicate with God? Not do you know how to talk to God. We all do that. My question is, do you know how to listen to God? And that's what we're going to be exploring over the next few weeks. And let me just say, nobody practiced this more than Jesus when he was on this earth. In fact, you just read the Gospels and you'll discover the habit and the priority of Jesus' life was getting away from the crowds, getting away from the distractions, getting away from all the busyness that surrounded him and having some one-on-one -on -one time with the Father. Regardless of what he was doing, regardless of what the people needed, regardless of what the expectations of the crowds were, we find Jesus over and over again carving out time not just to get alone and talk to the Father, but to get alone and listen to the Father. Let me show you a couple of places in the Bible where we see this. I hope you'll bring your Bible in this series, especially next week. But if you, if you have a Bible, by the way, we've given out over 200 Bibles the last couple of weeks as those guys took us through the great series about the Bible. And if you have one of those Bibles, go ahead and turn to page 552. I'll give you a little inside scoop there. But if you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 1. And uh, if you're new and you have a Bible, go about two-thirds of the way through the Bible. You'll find Matthew. That's the beginning of the New Testament. Go one more book. You found the book of Mark. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 32. We'll put it up on the side screens if you didn't bring your Bible. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. Wow, wouldn't you love to spend your evening that way, right? Jesus has been out ministering all day. He's been healing people and feeding people and performing miracles and teaching. And he's got this house where he's staying. Maybe it's the house of a friend. Maybe it's a house that him and the disciples rented out. I don't know. But he's at this house. And, this, and, and so when he gets home at night, maybe he has dinner. And somebody says, by the way, Jesus, look what it says in the next phrase. Is, the whole town gathered at the door. So all the people that couldn't get at Jesus during the day, they discover where he's staying and they show up at night. Now understand, houses back then weren't like houses today. They were one room, two room. If you were really wealthy, maybe you had three rooms. And, and towns and villages weren't like they are now. There might be a couple of hundred people, maybe a couple of thousand people. But this, this verse tells us they all came to the door. And they're just lining up at night waiting to see Jesus. And I can just see, you know, Peter out front with a Baskin-Robbins number dispenser machine. You're 29, you're 43, 169. Don't get out of line. You know, he'll get with you eventually. But they're all lining up to see Jesus. Now, why are they lining up to see Jesus? Well, word has hit the streets. This guy's a miracle worker. And that would be, that would be a big deal even today. I mean, how long would you wait? 
How long, if you found out you were ill and the doctor had no answers, how long would you wait and stand in line to see Jesus if you knew it was your only hope, right? So that's the situation here. But notice verse 33. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. That is an incredibly interesting phrase. That's a series in itself. We'll have to unpack that one day. But notice this next verse. Very early in the morning. So you gotta, you gotta, you gotta understand what's going on here. Jesus has worked all day. He gets home to relax. The whole town shows up. He had to see the whole town. He ministers all through the night. He finally gets through the crowd. But notice what it says. Very early in the morning, verse 35, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, I'm just gonna be honest with you. I wouldn't have done that. I would have justified. I worked really, really hard yesterday. In fact, I worked through the night. I just need to chill. I just need to relax today. God will understand. See, Jesus didn't, he didn't see it that way. He found a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Jesus, everybody is looking for you. In other words, Jesus, we're not done. Why are you out here by yourself? There's more ministry to be done. There's more work to be done. There are more miracles to be performed. You're out here all by yourself. Don't you understand? Don't you know how much more work there is to do? Don't you understand the expectations of the people right now? Flip over a few chapters if you have your Bible to Mark chapter 6. Jesus has just performed his most popular miracle. It's the feeding of the 5,000. All of the gospel accounts tell us that there were 5,000 men present. Now, you add women and children to that. Jesus took a few fish and a few pieces of bread, and he fed maybe 8, 10, maybe 12,000 people. And understand, after the miracle, these people are sitting there. Their bellies have been filled. They've listened to the teaching of Jesus, and they're just jacked up. They're excited. They are ready to proclaim Jesus as king. And the disciples, because they're waiting for Jesus to establish this new earthly kingdom, they're thinking, yeah, this is the moment we've been waiting for. This is the momentum. This is the way we've been wanting to ride. This is how it's all coming together. But I want you to notice what happens when you look at Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, this is right after the miracle. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. And if you read on, you'll discover this made the disciples very, very angry. They were ticked off at Jesus. They were like, Jesus, are you kidding me? We have the people right where we want them. This is what we've been waiting for. But Jesus is like, yeah, I get where you're coming from. But you know what? I just need some quiet time alone with the Father. You guys head on across the lake. I'll catch up with you eventually. One more, Luke chapter 5, verse 15 Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now here's the phrase, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I mean, do you see the contrast? He's, he's busier than ever. There's more to do than ever. See, the more Jesus does, the crowds don't diminish. The more Jesus does, the more the crowds grow. There's more to do than ever. Now there's more needs than ever. The expectations, they're higher than they've ever been throughout Jesus' entire ministry. But over and over again, you'll find Jesus in situations just like this one, when all of the momentum is building, when all of the crowds are pressing around, when he had all this opportunity to minister to the people, what you'll find is that Jesus would, would slip away so he could spend some one-on-one -on -one time alone with the Father. Do you know why? It's because Jesus understood this principle. To do the will of the Father 
you have to know the will of the Father. And to know the will of the Father, you have to hear the will of the Father. And if you're going to hear the Father speaking, see, Jesus said one time, I only do what the Father tells me to do. If you're going to hear the Father tell you what to do, you've got to spend some time listening to the Father. So Jesus made this idea, this, 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 this a long time with the Father. He made it a priority. This is, this is so important. He made it a priority over the needs of the people. He made it a priority over work. He made it a priority over ministry. He made it a priority over the expectations of the people because he knew he could not do the will of the Father if he didn't hear it. And Jesus knew you can't listen in a crowd. Jesus knew you can't listen in the busyness of life. He knew you can't listen to the Father while you're driving 80 miles an hour down Interstate 40 trying to beat everybody else to work. Jesus knew listening is about time alone in solitude with the Father. So here's my message in a nutshell in case you have to leave early to beat the traffic. If you're going to go deeper as a Christian, if you're going to go deeper in your relationship with God, understand this, God's already done everything he can do. God has done all he can do to make that a possibility of you having a deep, intimate relationship with him. Think about it. He created communication. He gets communication. He is the master communicator. He is the preeminent communicator. On top of that, he's already paid the ultimate price by giving us his most priceless possession, his son, to die on a cross so that we could be restored into a relationship with him. Understand, people, that's the gospel. Not that Jesus died so that someday, because of what he did on the cross and the shedding of his blood, we get to miss hell and somehow go to heaven. Sure, that's a little part of it. But the gospel is this. God gave his only begotten son so that we could be reconciled, we could be restored back into an intimate relationship for Him, with him. But you got to understand this. For there to be a relationship, there has to be communication. And for there to be communication with the Father, there can't just be talking. There have to be times for us to listen. And so what we're going to see in this series, if this is going to happen, we're going to have to figure out as Christians, how do we prioritize our life the way Jesus prioritized his life so that every day, every day, or at least several times a week, we get alone, we find a place of solitude, and we spend some time with the Father. And in that time with the Father, we say, Father, you've heard my words, you've heard what I've asked, what I need, what I want, but God, now I need you to speak to me. Let me give you a couple of reasons why this is so important. First of all, listening to God keeps things with God relational. You see, if you don't get into the habit of listening to God, I can promise you this. Eventually, Christianity for you will become just a day of the week. I mean, for some of you growing up, understand religion was what? It was about a particular day at a particular place, a synagogue, a temple, a building, a place with a steeple. But it was about a particular day where you went to a particular building. If someone asked you, were you a Christian? You would say, yeah, on Sundays, I go to that building. Or if somebody were to ask you, what's your religious background? You would say, well, I'm Baptist, or I'm Methodist, or I'm Presbyterian, or I'm Catholic. But on Sundays, I go to, I go to that building. And for many of us, that's what Christianity was. My point is this. If there's just talking and no listening, eventually your whole Christian experience is going to become a routine. It's going to become a ritual. But nothing, nothing transitions us from ritual to routine. I'm sorry, ritual and routine faster than this idea of a relationship, this one-on-one -on -one time with God. And I'll tell you why. It's because God wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to you. 
He has some specific things he wants to say to you. Sure, sometimes he can speak through me or whoever's speaking on the weekend. Sometimes maybe he'll speak through your small group. But you got to understand, this is a personal relationship with God made possible with Jesus Christ. Your heavenly father wants to know you personally. Think about this. There are some things that he wants to specifically say to you. And I'm just telling you, for you to be able to hear him, you're going to have to carve out some time to spend with him. And it's going to have to be a priority because it's the one thing that makes it relational. In fact, the best advice I could give anybody here this weekend, whether you're an old Christian, whether you're a new Christian, maybe you're not even a Christian, the best advice I I can give you is this. Very simple. Get a Bible. Get a Bible. We have some free ones still available. Get up 15 minutes earlier tomorrow morning and start reading. And as you're reading, simply pray this prayer. God, speak to me. I'm just going to sit here and spend some time in your word, God. If there's something you want to say to me, I'm open. Impress my heart. Impress my spirit. Speak to me. It's the best advice I can give you. Because, see, if I learned if I can get a person to initiate Christianity relationally, it is going to make all the difference in the world and their relationship with God. But I'll tell you this, if that is not a part of your life where you give God time to speak to you, it is just a matter of time before Christianity becomes a day of the week. It's just a matter of time before Christianity becomes about jumping through the hoops and obeying all the rules. you got to understand, that's never what God had in mind. You won't find that anywhere in the New Testament. Yet that is very much a part of our culture and our society. You ask the average person, why don't, why don't you want to be a Christian? So many rules. So many hoops you have to jump through. That was never God's plan. God wants to be in a relationship with you. He wants to spend time with you. So listening to God keeps it relationally, relational. Here's the second one. Listening to God enhances the accountability between you and God. For example, I can stand up here on the weekend, sit up here on the weekend, and I can talk about the fact that men, as husbands, you ought to love your wives the way Christ loved the church and lay down your life for her, and you'll go home all depressed. And I can say, women, you got to submit to your husbands, and you'll go home all angry. Right now, I'll get emails all week. But I could talk about that stuff. By next weekend, see, I've moved on to something else. I've moved on to a new topic, and, and you've forgotten everything I talked about the previous weekend. It means nothing. In fact, you forget most of what I say. 90% of what I say, statistics say, within 90 minutes of hearing me. That hurts my feelings, by the way. But that's just, that's just life, right? See, as a single, you can go to your small group, and you can sit around and discuss and talk about the importance from God's perspective of saying sexually and morally pure until you get married. You can talk about that, and you can ask each other questions, and you can hold each other accountable. But i got to tell you something. In the quietness of your time with God, when you are alone with God, and when God begins to speak to you about a specific issue in your life, maybe it has to do with your job, maybe it has to do with a relationship, maybe it has to do with some dysfunction in your life. i got to tell you something. When you're one-on-one with God, and God begins to speak directly to you, there is a heightened sense of accountability that will push you toward actual change and transformation in your life like nothing else in the world. I cannot tell you the things that God has taught me just in my quiet time, my one-on-one time with him. Most of the communication between God and I about moving from California and starting this church took place when I was just spending my time reading through the scriptures, and God would impress on me certain things. And sometimes when I didn't want to pursue it anymore because it was scary and there was too much risk and I would kind of put it on the back burner, I might be reading something and God would just say, hey, don't forget, don't forget what we talked about about North Carolina. Don't let that go. Don't let that go. I'll never forget one time I I became aware of a, a, a situation in a family. 
that they were going through a tough time financially. And when I heard that, the very first impression God laid on me was figure out how to sacrifice somewhere and give them a thousand bucks. That's what I want you to do. Well, I, you know, I don't pay the bills. I don't handle the finances. So I got to go home and talk to Laura about this. So I go home and I say, honey, I think God wants us to give this couple a thousand bucks. And well, let's pray about it. Well, you know what? After we prayed about it and talked about it and looked at the checkbook, we rationalized it down to a hundred bucks. And we gave him a hundred bucks. A couple of days later, I'm having my one-on-one time with God and I'm reading, it has nothing to do with anything. I think I was in the book of Exodus and God was like, I told you a thousand. Well, I'm thinking I'm just, you know, that's my, that's my Baptist guilt. You know, that's my overactive conscience, right? The next day, I told you a thousand. Hey, when are you going to seek me first and let me take care of everything else? I told you a thousand. So I went back and I talked to Laura and this opened up a conversation for us where this is where we landed when it comes to giving. Whatever God lays on our heart first is what we're going to do. And God has transformed our lives through generosity, and he's been faithful in taking care of our financial needs every time. In fact, we were going through this process where we felt like, man, God's been good to us. We need to up our giving to hope. And so we were like, well, let's just pray about it, and then we'll talk about it. And while we were away, we talked about it. And, And before... We even talked in about 30 seconds, we both had landed on a percentage that God wanted us to increase our giving. And it was like, that's our first impression. I don't, we're, we're gonna have to change some things. We're gonna have to dial down some things, but this is what God wants us to do. And now it's a principle that we just kind of live our lives by, but that's something that God gave me in just my one-on-one time with him. God has specific things. Now that doesn't, you know, some of you are thinking, well, Mike, this is not the best illustration because if I have one-on-one time with God, he's gonna want me to give more of my money away. So, so just ignore that one. Let me give you another one. Um, <laughs> One time I was in my office in a church I was pastoring uh, in Northern California, and I'm just, I'm just having my quiet time. And as I'm reading, uh, when I finished, I prayed, God, this is my prayer. I want you to remove anything from my life that would, would hinder you from using me the way you want to use me. Now, I'm thinking about things that are going on right now. You know, do we need to get rid of cable? Do I need to quit hating Carolina fans? What's going on right now, right now, that I need to get rid of so that you can use me completely and the way you want to use me. And God was like, remember that guy that really hurt you a few years ago and you never forgave him? Not only do I want you to forgive him, I want you to spend some time with him because you know what? He's going to be in the ministry and he needs to learn from that experience too. And again, I thought, well, this is just my overactive conscience. And so I just, I just, I just kind of ignored it. The very next day, as I'm praying, it's, that's, the, that's the first thought that came to my mind. God's like, if you want me to use you, you ask. You got to deal with that situation. You got to deal with that person. And I can remember debating and arguing with God, like, God, no, you don't understand. It's just too, God, this is too complicated. There, there's just too much history there. This has, been, this has been over five years ago. They've moved on. I've moved on. God would not let it go. I'm telling you, this is how bad it was. I stopped having my quiet time. Because I realized every time I had my quiet time, my one-on-one time with God, he's going to say, yeah, don't forget that guy. You got to deal with that guy. You, be, you want me to use you? You got to deal with that guy. And I told you the story. Finally, one day in my office, I called in my admin, and I said, get me a ticket. And I drove into the Oakland airport, hopped on a Southwest plane, flew down to Burbank, California, rented a car, and went directly to this guy's house. And we had that meeting. And he didn't receive it like I was praying and hoping, and I'm not sure he got... He got anything out of it. But you know what? I got in the car and drove back to the airport and flew back home with this sense that God's saying, you did what I asked you to do. That's all I can ask you to do. 
But you know when those things came up? Not standing in church, singing worship songs, not while I was teaching. Those times came up when it was just God and me. And I'm telling you, it was intensely relational. And as much as I hated the process, at times as painful as the process was, I am so glad I did it. Because even though I was saying no, 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 do you know what was happening? Think about this. I am interacting one-on-one with God. God and I are conversing together. It wasn't a routine. It wasn't about a day of the week. It wasn't a building. The God of creation cared enough about me to speak to an issue in my life and say, if you really want to be used the way I want to use you, you got to deal with this. And I'll tell you what, even if I had continued to argue and debate and say no, it was awesome that this was going on, this interaction was going on with me and my Heavenly Father. And this is what God wants to say to you this weekend. I'm interested in you. I'm interested in you. I'm not just interested in speaking to you through your small group or speaking to you through a song or maybe a message. I'm interested in just you and me because, see, there's some things I want to say to you, and they're not just bad things. I want to communicate with you. I want you to know how much I love you. I want you to know how important you are to me. So I'm just asking you. I want you to make a priority to carve some time out of your busy life, your busy schedule for me, not just so you can talk to me, but because there's some things I want to say to you. I'm telling you, if you're ever going to have an intimate relationship with God, if Christianity is going to ever be more than just religion, obeying a bunch of rules, jumping through a bunch of hoops, this has to become a priority. Now, let me just make something clear. This doesn't make you more lovable to God. It doesn't make you more acceptable. You don't get brownie points. You don't get extra blessings. This isn't about earning or performing or somehow impressing God. This is simply positioning yourself so that God more easily can communicate with you. That's all it's about. I mean, think about that. Think of the honor that is. The invitation that you're receiving from God. God is saying, listen, I want to know you. I want to be known by you. I want you to know me. Would you just give me some time? And don't be afraid of what I'm going to talk to you about. Ignore Mike's scary story about giving more money. That may not even be for you. God says, it's just just about me and you having a deep, intimate relationship. Now, if you're here this weekend and you're a Christian, do you know what will happen if you don't take the time to listen to God? First of all, as a Christian, I'll tell you this. You'll never grow and you will never change. You'll never change. Your life will never be transformed into what God wants it to be because your entire interaction with God will be give me, give me, give me, do for me, do for me, do for me. Fix him, fix him, fix her, fix her. Bless me, bless me, help me, help me. And you'll never know what God wants to do specifically in your life. Second, if you don't take the time to listen to God, I promise you this, eventually, you won't even mean to, but eventually you'll treat God disrespectfully. You'll start to treat God like a vending machine. You'll treat him like Santa Claus. I've been really, really good. What are you going to give me? God, I did this for you. What are you going to do for me? And you won't mean to treat him that way, but you'll never approach him as the awesome God that he is as long as your interaction is always ask, 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 talk, 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 and you don't take the time to listen. And you won't be doing it on purpose, but I'm just telling you, when there's no intimacy, when there's no communication, when there's no time for you to just shut up and listen, I promise you it's just a matter of time. Without even meaning to, you'll begin to treat God disrespectfully. But here's the worst part. Third, if you don't take time to listen to God, you'll miss God altogether. That doesn't mean you won't go to heaven. 
But if God wants to know you, and if God wants you to know him, if God wants just to communicate with you, but, but you just won't give him the time, I'm promising you, you're going to miss him. There'll be some good feelings and some good emotions, you know. You'll get a little liver quiver every once in a while when we sing one of those great worship songs at church. There'll be some good experiences that you will have as a Christian. But in terms of what God has for you one-on-one, you'll just miss it. So let me wrap it up this weekend as we begin this series and you have an idea of where we're going. Don't miss out on what God has for you. I mean, this is a great church. And this is fun. I love the weekends here. I love getting up here and talking to you. But I just got to tell you, there is something so way beyond this. And it's the fact that your Heavenly Father wants some one-on-one time with you. And you, may not, you, might, not, you might not even know what to do, what that looks like, how to start. Uh, Jason and, and Brian and, and Doug did a phenomenal job on this past series about the Bible. And I was here when Brian spoke, and he, grace, he gave some great information about, you know, you can start reading anywhere, you know. You, you, you can carve out a specific time. I recommend first thing in the morning. Find a place that you're kind of isolated from everywhere. It may be in the car, in the parking lot before you go into the office. But whatever it is, we'll talk more about this next week. But what I want you to hear this weekend is this. If you want to really know God, you're going to have to learn to prioritize your life as Jesus prioritized his life. It's got to be more important than people's needs. There will always be needs. It's got to be more important than your work. There will always be work. It's got to be more important than what we think is urgent. I'm going to say more about this in the series. You know why we don't do this? For most of us, it's not urgent. And even when I do it, there are some, sometimes I'll have to read the same chapter several times because my mind keeps straying away to the 15 things I've got to deal with or people that are waiting for phone calls. See, it's not urgent. When it's urgent, we talk to God. But just spending time alone to hear from him, it's not urgent. And we're going to talk more about that in this series. But just like Jesus, we're going to have to figure out how to carve out a regular time where we kind of pull away from everything and we kind of separate ourselves from the distractions of life and where you sit down and say, you know, God, I've done enough talking. Now I want to just listen because I want you to speak to me. And and I want us to maximize our potential relationship. And God, I want there to be as much intimacy between us as possible. And and that's only going to happen as we begin to prioritize our life around our relationship with God. And as I said, we'll we'll look at what that looks like next week. But let me just give you an action step. And I've already talked to several people from, from, from Saturday night who, who've told me they've already done that this morning. Get up 15 minutes earlier, carve out some time, and start reading. You can start in John. It's the most read book of all the Bible. You could read Matthew and just kind of work your way. You could read Acts. John, don't read Leviticus. You'll kill yourself. Don't go there. Just wait. Just wait on that one, right? But just start reading and say, God, you know what? I'm new at this, and (laughs) I don't even know if I'm doing it right. But I'm just going to read, and I want you to speak to me. And I promise you this. You start doing that, it won't be long. You'll have a story. You'll have a story of how God spoke to you. And it will blow your mind when you realize that the God, the creator of the universe, that's still keeping it spinning and all in place, has time has time to communicate directly with you. If you've been a Christian for a while, let me encourage you, don't substitute, don't substitute all that you know for knowing your Heavenly Father. 
so we can get wrapped up as Christians in what we know. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 1, knowledge puffs up. That's why so many Christians become arrogant. We confuse knowing the Bible with knowing God. Don't let that happen to you. Do you know why this series was born? My confession time, I'll confess to you. Because I realized one day that some of the stuff that I'm dealing with, and I'll never forget a few weeks ago, um, I was kind of short and snippy and irritable. Oh, that's every day. Um, But uh, Laura said, honey, you got to get some help. So I went back to my good friend, Bill Buck, Christian counselor, and we began to talk and process and, and work through. And as you guys know, when you're dealing with a counselor, you know, there's, there's a lot of pain before healing, right? But I'm just so glad that God put him in my life. But what I realized was that my time studying and preparing to teach had slowly taken place of just my personal alone one-on-one time with God. And so just like I'm asking you, I, I started it all over again. Get up early, grab a cup of coffee, go into the office at home, shut the door, and say, God, it's just going to be me and you for a while. And I got to tell you, <laughs> that's better than any counseling in the world. I encourage you to do that. You never outgrow time alone with the Father. Jesus never outgrew it. We never outgrow it either. Let's pray. Father, speak to us. Speak to our hearts. There's so much stuff that you want to tell us. So I pray that we'll have the courage to give you the opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen.